Welcome everybody to Breaking the Cycle Two Step Forward podcast. I'm Beverly Ann and today I'm joined not just by one person, we're joined by a very special guest. So my co-host today is... Hi everyone, it's Chris Tuck here. Hope you are all well. And our very special guest is Dr. Howard Schubner. And Howard, would you like to tell everybody where you're actually speaking from today? I am in the Detroit, Michigan area in the States. And that's where I've lived my whole life. Fantastic. And we're recording at three o'clock in the afternoon, but it's about 10 o'clock in the morning for you, isn't it? That's correct. (laughs) Thank you. Well, before... We start our conversation today. I just want to do a little introduction about um, the background for yourself, Howard. And if there's anything you'd like to add, please do. So your official title is Professor Dr. Howard Schubiner, MD, FACP, the co-founder and clinical director and medical advisor of Freedom from Chronic Pain. You were a professor at Wayne State University for 18 years, and you're now at the Providence Hotel in Michigan, USA. And not only that, you've written several books, and we will be featuring these in the drop down for anybody listening to the podcast or watching the videos. So, um, but a couple of the books that you've written are Unlearn Your Pain and Unlearn Your Anxiety and Depression. But you're also co-founder for the PPDA, which is the Psychophysiologic Disorders Association. (laughs) Yeah, well, you make it sound like I'm very busy. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it, because I have to say... You need a holiday. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably the only one here that's not written a book so far, because, Chris, you've also (laughs) written a book, haven't you? Yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah. So following on from there, we're going to start this conversation going. And I'm really interested to hear because I know you through SERPA as a SERPA practitioner, and I'm also a chrysalis effect practitioner. So chronic pain, chronic fatigue, ME, fibromyalgia, and post-viral fatigue, I'm very familiar with. Um, And Chris is familiar with the mind-body connection. But When you left school, I'm going to ask you, what was your first thoughts about what you wanted to do when you left school? (laughs) What do you mean? uh, (laughs) Well, I decided to be a doctor when I was in university. So I was around 19 years old, 20 years old at that time. Before that, I hadn't any thoughts about being a doctor. But, you know, like I think a lot of people, I wanted to help people and I wanted to be able to work in a community And um, science classes came pretty easily to me, so it didn't seem that hard. (laughs) (laughs) So when did you know that you were going to go more into the skeletal side of doctors, doctoring? You mean the, um, like, what I'm doing now, the mind-body medicine work? Yes. Yeah, um, I was interested in mind-body medicine back in the university days, actually, quite a bit. And I read a lot about it. And, uh, you know, that that was very interesting to me. Uh, but then going to medical school and being a doctor and working at Wayne State University, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I was 
mainly dealing with tr traditional diseases and learning how to be a doctor. And um, I had I did a variety of different areas of medicine, but around 21 years ago now, I read a book by Dr. Sarno recommended to me by a friend and and that rekindled my uh, interest in the mind-body connection. And that's when I started uh, doing this practice that I've been doing now for the last 20 years of seeing people and trying to help them with conditions that um, most of the time modern medical practice doesn't really know how to address, like uh, chronic pain, headaches, migraine, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, back pain, neck pain, pelvic pain, irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety, depression, insomnia. So there's just so many things. These are the main causes of disability in the world today. Uh, they're not the main causes of death. The main causes of death are still cancer and stroke and heart attack, diabetes, chronic lung disease. But these conditions that I mentioned are the ones that cause the most, the highest level of people missing work, missing enjoyment in life, uh, being debilitated, sometimes bedridden. And uh, we are not, modern medicine is not real, doesn't really understand the power of the brain. It doesn't understand that our brains literally create what we experience. What we see is created by our brain. What we hear is literally created in our brain. And what we feel is literally created in our brain. And this is, you know, modern neuroscience that, you know, doctors haven't really been taught. Absolutely. And Chris, I can see you've got something you'd like to say. Yeah, I was just going to ask Dr. Schubert now. Um, what do you actually mean for our listeners about the mind-body connection and why is it that most GPs, medicine people, don't get that mind-body connection? What is it that makes them not get it or want to get it? Yeah, well, they were told about it. And uh, when people think about the mind-body connection, um, they think that when I say that our brains are creating what we experience, then people jump to the idea that you're saying my pain or my depression or my anxiety is all in my head. It's not real. It's imaginary. Uh, it's my fault. There's something wrong with me as a person. And none of that is true. But the reason I say that our brain creates all of our experiences is because that is true. When you touch a hot stove, it's not your finger causing pain. A finger can't cause pain. And that is a weird concept for people to get. And the reason we know that is because millions of people over years, this has been documented many times, have had injuries, and most people have had some experience with this, where you can have an injury and not have any pain, not even be aware of it, because your brain is occupied by something else. So the point is, is that pain is a decision that the brain makes on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. That's number one. Number two Injuries can clearly activate parts of the brain that turn on pain. We know that. Everyone knows that. But what most doctors don't know is that stress and emotional situations activate the exact same parts of the brain as does a physical injury. So if someone has stress and an emotional injury, 
that can cause the brain to turn on headache or back pain or stomach pain or anxiety or depression or fatigue. And that seems like that is all in the body because you're feeling it in your body. But that's how the brain works. And so the brain, the reason the brain does that is it's trying to protect us. It's a danger alarm mechanism. And whether we evolve this way or whether God created us this way is a, is a debate for other another time. <laughs> but the fact is, is that's how we are. So when you're endangered, either from a physical injury, that's endangerment, or from an emotional injury, that's endangerment, the brain has the capacity to activate a warning system like a smoke alarm. And this warning system can consist, it doesn't tap you on the shoulder and say, you know, my dear, <laughs> there's some, there's a problem in your life, or you've got a nail in your, you know, you've got a thorn in your side, or you've got a, a person who's, you know, uh, abusing you. It just gives you these symptoms as a warning. It's up to us to figure them out. So I just want to clarify something again for our listeners as well, because we talk about mental illness and depression often comes into mental illness. But personally, myself, when we're speaking about mental illness, I prefer to say neurological. And it's not an illness. It's a neurological response. So our amygdala is our alarm bell. Yeah. Um, and, and when we've experienced something that's so highly emotive, our brain is suppressing the emotions because trauma doesn't have a voice. And so that's where the pain comes from the body because it's trying to keep us safe. Right. It's a neurological condition, but you're right. It's not a disease. These are learned neural circuits. They're neural circuits that can turn down in the brain. And neural circuits are how we ride a bike, how we sign our name, how we walk, talk. And these neural circuits can be pain or anxiety or fatigue or depression. And they can turn on and they can turn off because they're neural circuits. They can become habitual. And that's what happens in people with chronic uh, depression or anxiety or pain. And what happens is the, the, the habitualness comes because of a variety of factors, uh, one of which can certainly be uh, a prior trauma that's unresolved, ongoing stress, ongoing emotions, ongoing trauma that's still happening and causing the brain to feel endangered, um, and how we treat the symptoms. So the symptoms are being treated by medical professionals who are telling us, oh, you've got this thing that's never going to go away. Yeah. You've got this disease of your brain. You can never fix it. You've got to take medications or ECT or, you know, I mean, all sorts of things. And holistic doctors are saying you need supplements and you need you change your diet and all these things. And so those things cause a lot of fear. They cause people to be more and more afraid of the message of the alarm. When a smoke alarm goes off, we're not afraid of the sound. The sound is there to help us. It's an alarm. Uh, but when, when depression comes or pain comes, we start to get so afraid of that and we miss the understanding and stepping back and thinking about it as a message, as a protection, not as the problem itself. But when we, when we spend so much time trying to fix the problem, that 
actually makes it can make it worse and can make it become more habitual, more chronic. Because we're looking at the symptom and trying to treat the symptom, not what's the underlying cause. Chris, I see you you want to say something. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, Beverly, is that um, (laughs) the medical profession are so keen to fix the symptom. But until we fix the cause, the symptoms are not going to go away. And there are many people out there who have gone through um, what we are on about childhood abuse and then have trauma from that. They experience that physical pain and they are not aware of the link and they don't connect the dots and they don't get the right help and support for themselves. They are in a continual cycle, a habitual cycle of just trying to address the symptom with some kind of medication that causes another issue. And then there's more medication and they're on this wheel that they can't seem to get off until they get this bit of awareness of the brain body connection. Do you agree with that or not? Yeah, hundred percent. That's exactly what happens. And people, they, they have, people have different names for it. The names are when each name is scarier than the last resistant depression, treatment, resistant depression, PTSD, chronic PTSD, complex PTSD, all these things that making people think they're worse and worse than they are. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing, uh, these, the symptoms that people have, the symptoms are, are real. They're not imaginary. They're not all in people's heads. They're, they're often debilitating. Uh, they can be, uh, you know, they can be obviously so scary and so, uh, fearful. Um, and I'm not minimizing the trauma that people went under either. That's what I do every day. I see people who've had trauma that, and the stories that I've heard, you know, are, are just shocking. Some of them are so shocking what people have been through. Um, but it's amazing that people can go forward. It's amazing that people can recover. And, you know, it's thanks to the work of so many people and the work that you're doing. Thank you. But also what I find fascinating because of I've heard you, I've read your books, I've heard you speaking before several times, is how, how you've, you know, you've trained in the biomedical world. You have this innate understanding of the mind-body connection, but then you started off um, with your spinal surgery. But the story that really is interesting is after doing so many surgeries, what your results were until you started to change your ways of working and bringing in the mind-body connection. So uh, uh, I don't, I, I don't do surgery. I'm not sure you're. No, no, but working within with um, so with the surgeries that take place. Sometimes, sometimes we we opt for surgery before we look at any underlying yeah. cause. Right, right. Yeah, I mean that happens all the time. Uh, sometimes, you know. Uh, Sometimes medical procedures work, help people, not because of the procedure, but because of the placebo effect. Mm. So there's a lot of surgeries, injections that are done that are, you know, frankly, basically unnecessary, but they may work uh, because the person, it turns off the danger signal in the brain. Uh, Pills can work by the placebo effect, Depre- antidepressants 
have been shown in many studies to have about 75% of people have a good response in six weeks. That's pretty strong. You know, 75% have a good response. But if you look closely at the data, you see that 72% respond to the placebo. Wow. So <laughs> that makes you wonder. <laughs> and uh, so that when you put all those all those studies together and what happened with the with antidepressants is that the pharmaceutical companies that are making the, the medications only published the studies that were positive that showed that it was better than placebo. They didn't publish the studies that showed it was that the placebo was just as good as the medication. So people weren't aware of those and the medications got approved. But when you look at all the studies, put them all together, and this was done by um, Irving Kirsch and, and a colleagues, a friend of mine, uh, they found that there was really little difference. And so when you have a, a disorder that has a, that has a very high risk, can have a very high response to a placebo, that tells you it's a mind-body uh, disorder. And it tells you we can use, hopefully, if people can understand this, we can use the power of their own brain to help them recover. Use their own brain as the placebo, so to speak, by giving them information and caring and tools and hope and connection to others, uh, a lot of people can get better without medication or invasive procedures. And that's that's the work that you know we've been doing. Dr. Schubinar, in our experience of working with some victim survivors, some victim survivors like a diagnosis because it almost gives them something to hold on to and something to have safety in and something to um, work with. Whereas others of us, we, we, we know we have the symptoms and we've dealt with them or not along our journey, but we don't like the labels because we don't want to be held back. How would you typically work with somebody who came to you um, with physical pain, how would you sort of like speak to them, talk them around to actually explaining that it your physical symptoms could be because of the mind-body connection? How would you actually do that when someone's really convinced that the only thing that would help them is medication or is a, a procedure? Well, um, you, not everyone is convincible for anything. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've ever tried to change someone's religious beliefs or political beliefs, uh, you'll know that, uh, you know, people have people come to things on their own for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, but people who are in pain or people who have depression or anxiety have a reason to change. They want to get better. They clearly want to get better. And so what we're doing is, I mean, the first step is love, basically. It's compassion. It's validation. It's listening to their story with compassion and understanding their story and helping them to look at their story from a slightly different lens. Because if you can, if you can uh, uh, help them see that when they started getting stomach pain when they were eight, was at a time when something was going on in their life that was making them feel unsafe. That's an interesting connection, right? When they were 14 or 15 and they got started getting headaches or migraine, there was something else that was going on in their life that was making them feel unsafe. 
Hmm, that's an interesting connection. When they were 23 and they started getting pelvic pain and irritable bowel syndrome, there was something that was going on in their life. And when they were 35, when they had that car accident, there was something that was going on in their life. And so if you be, can be help them see the story in a different way, if the story is bad things happened to me, I was unlucky. And on top of that, all these other medical things happened to me that were unrelated. I'm really unlucky. So I'm doubly unlucky. And the doctors couldn't find a cure for these medical conditions. Therefore, I'm broken and hopeless. The hero of that story is the doctors. But if you change the story a little bit, tell people see that they were definitely unlucky in the things that happened to them. But those things that happened to them had consequences of leading to the headaches, the stomach pain, the depression, the fibromyalgia, the chronic fatigue. And the doctors couldn't help you because they didn't understand why you had these in the first place. But if you can understand why you have these, the hero of the story is now you. And you can change your viewpoint if you want. <laughs> And you, you, it doesn't mean you're giving up the symptoms. The symptoms are real. You're not, you're not, those are validated. Uh, you're, you're changing the label from maybe uh, fibromyalgia and complex PTSD to mind-body condition. Neural, yeah. circuit, neural circuits that have been learned and can be unlearned. That is a way more hopeful a uh, way of thinking about things than you know being completely broken. Very empowering that that different lens that you look through and explain things. Very empowering to healing. Yeah, and yeah. that that for me, um, recovery, healing by having hope and being able to feel that you understand more. I think is empowering for a lot of people. I know it certainly was in my own experience of healing and recovery. I don't know about you, Chris, you know, we've both had lots of experience, we've lived experience and we've both researched and studied to get to this point more. Um, one of the things that's really interesting is the film that you're involved with, your, um, This Might Hurt film. Um, would you like to talk a little bit more about your film and how it came about and how it started? Because that would be interesting for some of the listeners, especially now they've heard you talk. Now it's like, oh, <laughs> let's go and have a look. <laughs> it's a it's a great film. I mean, it's not my film. Uh, it was created by Kent Bassett and Marion Cunningham. Uh, they're the directors and producers of the film. They spent years and years doing this on virtually no money, borrowing money, because they desperately wanted to make a film that would help people see and understand this mind-body connection in relationship to chronic painful conditions. And the film documents how, in the, in the people in the film, it documents how their pain was related to traumatic events in their life. It is very clear, it is very powerful, and it's very healing because when people can deal and address the emotions that have come out of the traumatic events in their lives and look at them 
instead of casting them aside and pushing them down and not tr and trying not to deal with it, but being open and being able to understand that, you know, some, something happened and you know what, that made me really angry. And I have that anger and I can allow myself to express that anger in a safe and healthy way. I can allow myself to express the sadness and the hurt in safe and healthy ways. And I can turn the sadness and hurt into compassion for myself and assertiveness for myself and standing up for myself and realizing that I can change the, the ways that I have reacted to things because when you're hurt and, and when you're young and powerless and, and being hurt or abused in some ways, um, you have to adapt to that and you, you do the best you can. And so people learn how to be not rock the boat and never speak up and never never put always put yourself last and be a perfectionist and try to be perfect and and feeling guilty like somehow you've done something wrong. And those those ways of reacting are actually very adaptive to that time. It made sense. That's what people had to do. They had to learn how to teleport and be somewhere else, you know, not in their body. Um, but now they can, from a lens of safety, they can learn to change how they are. They can be in their body. They can be kind to themselves. They can learn to say, there's sometimes I like, call a magic word that people can use. It has two letters. The first letter is N and the second letter is O. And sometimes it's magical to be able to say, no, I can't do that. Yeah. <clears throat> They're just little things. But when you put together the understanding that you're not broken, that the pain is due to the brain, and that you can stop fearing it so much and move on with your life. And you can address the trauma and you can address the emotions. You can be, have feel the emotions, allow them to come into your life and feel them and express them in safe and healthy ways and move through them to compassion. It's really a, a fantastic recipe for healing. And that's, and that's all in the film. <laughs> yes. Now, and I think it <laughs> highlights it really well. So for anyone listening, it's this might hurt and we will put the links as i said earlier um for anyone watching or listening that will all be included in there which is very important um chris anything else that you want to ask yeah i just wanted to um pick up on something and ask your expert advice on it so when i worked in a psychiatric hospital as a business manager but i later went on to work with the patients because it was part of my recovery um they would always deal just with the symptoms they were never interested in what the cause was and for me no medical training no psychiatric training nothing all i ever did was listen to the patient and all i ever heard was a backstory of trauma that's all mm -hmm. i ever heard and that's what sent me on my journey to delve a bit more into mind body connection and trauma and recovery um they still when did i leave there in 2012 they still only deal with the symptoms how can we turn around or try and turn around the way that the main medical people deal with this dr shubana what 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 will it take well maybe uh maybe we can take everything that I just said about all that healing and everything and put it into a pill, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, take this pill and then we'll talk about, take this pill. This is a specially designed pill to help you talk about trauma. Take yeah. the pill and we'll, we'll talk about trauma together, you know? And that's <laughs> why we're very... Maybe that would do it. <laughs> that's where we're very passionate about having conversations because what we're being able, what we're looking to do is give a voice to trauma because obviously our brain shuts down at the most traumatic time and there is no language and that's when our emotions neurologically have to yeah. go somewhere in the body and that's why they're so closely connected with pain yeah. and even by having this conversation for anyone listening you know and you want to find out more you know there's so much information so film information we give information in this podcast um i'll be putting a link as well for dr howard schubiner because he's got a list of podcasts you've been a guest with very many people including dr chatterjee as well which is fantastic one of the things i wanted to come back to was about prescribing and i'm currently studying myself again because it's something we continually do anyway and I'm studying with the Open University. And when I was accessing something last week, I came across some figures. And these come from our own National Health Service, from their website. <clears throat> Excuse me. And between 2014 and 2019, so five year span in the UK, there was nearly a 31% increase in prescribing antidepressants. And when I say nearly, it was 30.9% increase. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how specific it is. Mm -hmm. And what's quite shocking as well is the average age is becoming lower and lower. Mm, right. Yeah. So yeah. what thoughts I mean, do you have on that? Well, the doctors, doctors only have the tools that they have. Yeah. And so um, more and more doctors are using you know, they're, they're seeing this, there's been a dramatic rise in anxiety and depression in the societies, and particularly in young people. Yeah, there's been dramatic rises in anxiety and depression. This is even pre COVID, it's worse mm -hmm. since COVID. Yeah. And um, a lot of that has to do with um, isolation, uh, social media and young people. Um, and just the whole society being more and more polarized um, and all, all of that, you know, affects people. You know, people are, people are affected by their surroundings. Uh, there's more and more economic, you know, economic instability. Uh, and so, you know, young people are, they're like the canaries in the coal mine of our society. Yeah. And leading on from that, Bev, um, is also, Dr. Shubhanar, um, to suppress our pain or to deal with our pain, we often do, most of us, look towards something that's going to help with that. So it could be food, it could be exercise, it could be sex, it could be medication, it could whatever it is to help us deal with our pain. Um, and often in the work that I've done with survivors, um, if they try and give up their addiction to whatever it might be smoking for example or it could be you know cutting down on the unhealthy food and trying to eat a bit more um, nutritionally optimal um, 
then another addiction comes in. How, how would you sort of like deal with that or give some advice to people on how to try not to trade in one addiction for another um, and in order to heal the best way that they can? Do you come across that in your practice? Yeah, well, a lot of times th this happens frequently and the underlying mechanism, it seems to me, is fear. So if there's an underlying, a deep underlying fear, fear of, you know, fear of being yourself, fear of who you are, fear of your past, then you're going to find some escape from that. And the escape can be addictions or pain or anxiety or whatever, and they can shift from one to the other. But if, if that's why addressing the underlying trauma, that's why addressing the underlying fear and seeing if you can see where this fear comes from. You know, one of the, one of the um, trauma treatments that Mark Lumley and I developed is called emotional awareness and expression therapy. And you'll see that in the film, This Might Hurt. And uh, we've written about it and we've done research on it, showing that it can be very effective by helping people do what's called memory reconsolidation, which is going back in time in a fantasy to re not to relive traumatic events, because that would be cruel to relive them would be horrible, but to change them, to go back in time uh, to help that younger person who was you so that they can change the story in an imaginary way to free themselves, to protect themselves, and that can have dramatic effects on lowering the fear uh, that they have. And if you can actually lower the underlying fear, then they won't need the uh, coping mechanisms as much. Yeah, that, I mean, that's something very powerful and something that I do often with my clients. So we don't go back to the actual trauma and take it apart because that's revisiting the trauma but we're able to go back and even speak with our younger self or write to our younger self. Right. And <clears throat> what, what would your younger self, younger self want at this moment? Right. So you're working with a lot of trauma and vicarious trauma is something that we all have to be aware of when we're practicing. So I'm going to ask you something completely random about self-care. What, what do you enjoy doing yourself for self-care for yourself and putting some fun into your life and, and, and letting go, letting go of some of the trauma, because that's important too. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, um, I love to golf uh, and I, and I really like to, to exercise. So I've been, I've been taking all these classes uh, in the States. We have the YMCA yeah. and I'm a local YMCA and I'm taking all these classes now and, spinning and body pump you know lifting weights and but the one that i took for the very first time the other day was zumba class <laughs> <laughs> i used to teach that dr Schubiner. <laughs> really and i thought i would never do that it seemed like it was mainly for women that i shouldn't be doing that um and I, we, we did the class and uh, after it was so hard i mean it was so strenuous yeah. And uh, I, the, I I said to the teacher, I thought this was going to be cha-cha and salsa. And she, I said, it's more like high intensity <laughs> exercise. And she said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I'm not a Zumba person. I tried it, 
but um, I'm not used to dancing in trainers. I like dancing in heels with a drink as well. <laughs> so what does that say about me? <laughs> well, you know, everyone has different things, but um, it's I enjoy the golf. Self care is important. Yeah, absolutely, and that's something we both we live by. And I'm actually playing golf tomorrow for the first time this year. Oh wow! So yeah, looking forward to it. Looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah. So. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I have to say, you know, when we asked you to be a guest, I was like in awe when you said yes. So a big, big thank you from me, myself. And what we do, we do our last thoughts before we finish. So if I could go to Chris, first of all, and Chris, any thoughts before we finish today on this podcast? No, I just think it's magical that we can talk to someone across the pond, so to speak, and get more um, resources for our listeners and just spread the word more that people can empower themselves to heal. They don't have to stay stuck. They don't have to stay in pain. They can be more aware and go and get help and support to live their lives to the full. So I just think that's just magical. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. And Howard, what, what would your last thoughts be joining us today? Just that there's there's hope. You know, please don't give up hope. Uh, please move towards compassion. Please move toward caring and connecting and living with meaning and purpose. Uh, there's lots of resources out there, and you have a lot of them that you can help people with. Thank you. And my last thought is I always am an admire how our bodies work hard to keep us safe us safe and sometimes they use the physical way to try and warn us so it's that fear is often embedded at one time but it's it's realizing that there are options there are choices and when we're ready it's not about just diving in and opening it all up like a can of worms it's about having the knowledge knowing that there's choice and there is always hope for recovery. And as we say, breaking the cycle to step forward from abuse. Yeah. So thank you very much for today. We're going to say goodbye to everybody, but please stay with us, Howard, because I'm going to stop the recording in a minute. So goodbye, everybody who's watching. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, everyone.